Amen. Well, good morning. Glad to be here with you. Glad to be uh, online with the rest of our church family dispersed here, there, and everywhere throughout our valley. Glad to be able to worship together. Uh, When I was a young person, I had a chance to travel to Europe back when Americans could go to Europe, right? And uh, we, we took a trip all over Europe, my family and I. We went to England and France and Switzerland, Italy, Germany. Uh, an amazing trip. We saw all kinds of museums and landmarks and cultural experiences. We had amazing food, all kinds of new food experiences, especially for, for my sister and I. We were kids. And uh, towards the end of the trip, we started to get a bit homesick. Uh, we'd been gone a long time. We were ready to eat some familiar foods, uh, see some familiar places, ingredients you can pronounce, you know. Uh, So by the time we made it to Germany, that was our last stop on the trip, we were pretty much done with eating weird stuff, surprising ingredients, that kind of thing. We just wanted something comfortable. And that's when we saw a particular fast food restaurant whose name starts with a big M. But this is not the restaurant you're thinking of. We stumbled upon a place called McCheeper's. Uh, some kind of McDonald's knockoff. And just to prove to you this is a true story, take a look at this picture. There it is, right there. Don't be distracted by my luscious thick hair or my very awkward shorts, but uh, we found this place, McCheeper's, and it was comfort food. A burger and fries never tasted so good. It was uh, a temporary cure for our homesickness. And uh, one more part of the story has nothing to do with anything, but it's kind of funny. My sister, she took the picture, so she's not in that picture, but she had just taken high school German, and uh, she was looking for a way to test her German out a bit while we were on our trip. She was really excited to try that out, but she'd been pretty intimidated. The places we'd been up to this point, it was just too much for her. But she saw the menu at McCheeper's, and she was like, I I could do this. Guys, you tell me what you want, and I'll order it for us in German. So we did, and and she walked up to the counter, and she was like, you know, eine cheeseburger mit fries. I don't speak any German, but she did it all in German, right? And we were impressed. It was was very nice work. And the guy behind the counter, he paused, and he repeated back the order in perfect English. Like, uh, so it was just a total disappointment for her. And we thought about it later. We realized, well, of course the guy who works at McCheeper's probably speaks English. Who else is going into that place? But, uh, but today we're starting a, a new sermon series. We finished our study of Habakkuk last week. And we're going to be looking at a different book of the Bible this morning, a book that's really timely for the church right now. Uh, it's a book that might make you a little homesick. Uh, we're looking at uh, a book, uh, the letter that we call First Peter. It's a letter written by Peter the Apostle to a group of people who really were homesick. They were struggling to make sense of the world that they were in. Uh, things had changed for them, and uh, they weren't sure what God was really up to. They felt out of place. They didn't know what to do. And we've all felt that at times, haven't we? We've all found ourselves in places where things are different than we expected, We've been in situations where we weren't sure what God was doing in our lives, things that take us by surprise. I mean, this whole COVID situation, nobody saw that coming, and yet it's changed everything. Sometimes it's hard to know what God is doing in the world. Well, this book of 1 Peter speaks directly to that, and today we're going to see that this book speaks directly to us, how we live as a church in this valley. The book was written by Peter, the same Peter that's in the Gospels. A lot of scholars have have questioned if this book is really written by Peter or if it was written by somebody else and they just tacked a famous person's name onto it. And part of the reason for that question is the uh, the question about the book's author is because of who it's written to. Uh, 
We'll read in a moment, this letter is addressed to churches scattered around Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It's not exactly territory that Peter was familiar with or places that he's associated with. What we know of Peter is that he grew up in Israel. He later went on to Rome. Nothing about the, the places that are in this letter. In fact, these churches in this area, they're the places where Paul ministered. So why would Peter be writing to Paul's churches? That's a question that causes some folks to conclude that this book must be written by somebody else who wanted to come across as important. Well, the book was, in fact, written by Peter, and the reason he's writing to Paul's churches is because Paul is dead. Paul was executed by the emperor Nero. You may recall a couple of weeks ago we mentioned the day of the Christian martyr. It's observed on June 29th because that's traditionally the day the apostle Paul was killed for his faith. So, so Paul is dead. You can play the album backwards. You can hear that. Paul is dead. And Peter is writing to these churches that were connected to Paul in order to encourage them. They're trying to make sense of what happened. They're going through their own challenges, their own suffering, and Peter picks up with these churches to encourage them. In a sense, he tells them two things. He tells them, no one is coming for you. And then he tells them, someone's coming for you. Let me explain what I mean. First, he tells them, no one is coming for you. Because Paul is dead, Peter himself is in Rome, 1,800 miles away from him. No one is coming to help them right now. So they're going to have to work through their own suffering on their own. They're going to have to uh, face this persecution, facing the challenges of all kinds. They're out there on their own. No one is coming for them. So Peter writes to encourage them to guide their faith, but they're going to have to take ownership. That's one of the big lessons of the book. How do you really own your faith when things don't go the way that you think they will? That's one of the lessons we'll explore. So Peter tells them, no one is coming for you. And the second thing he tells them is that someone is probably coming for you. And by that, I mean the same persecution against Christians that caused Paul to be killed in Rome is going to come their way, even out to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. They will be persecuted because of their faith even more suffering than they're already experiencing. Someone is coming for them. And in reality, those same truths that were true for them, they're true for us too. No one is coming for us. We as a church have to navigate this world on our own. Now, of course, we're guided by the Holy Spirit, but the world is changing so rapidly. There really is no playbook for how to live out the Christian faith in the world today other than this book right here. We have to navigate the world on our own. The, the dominant culture is moving farther and farther away from anything that, that's comfortable for Christianity or even accepting of Christianity. No one is coming for us. We have to do the hard work of figuring out how to live out our faith in this world. We have to take ownership. The, the days of being able to, to show up at church, sit on the fence, they're really, really gone. Some folks over here, some folks over here. Where does the church fit? How do we live in this culture knowing that God is still in control, knowing that God still wants to use us to reach all these people right here, right now? That's something we have to figure out. How do we live out God's mission and purpose for us right here in this valley? And the second truth for them is also true for us. Persecution is coming for us. There's a, a widening gap between the way the world thinks and acts and the way that Jesus' followers should think and act. It's getting harder and harder because the gap is expanding on both sides, both directions. Lots of folks on, on both sides think they've cornered the market for how to live out Christian values, and the truth is getting harder and harder to discern. And we as a church, we as individuals, we've got to be wise about how that gap affects us. And we've got to be wise to live and act in the same way that Jesus did. That's what our study in this book is going to help us with. 
So we're going to start at the beginning of the book, and we're not going to get very far into the book today. We're only going to look at the first two verses. That's because there's so much rich detail in the very beginning of this book, it's going to give us plenty to talk about. So we're just going to start off reading this introduction to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So that's the way this letter starts. And traditionally, letters at this time, they began with a very simple formula. The author would introduce himself. He would mention the recipients of the letter. And then he would offer a blessing or a word of encouragement, grace and peace. Uh, that's what we see here. And as we look at this letter to help us make sense of our world today, we're just going to take it piece by piece this morning because each phrase has something to teach us. And the letter starts off, Peter identifies himself as an apostle. And that word apostle literally uh, just means messenger. It's actually a word that was used before the time of Jesus. It just means a messenger. And yet Peter's not just any messenger, not just an apostle, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's not just any old messenger, but he's commissioned by Jesus. That makes uh, it, it take on more significant meaning. In fact, this last phrase, of Jesus Christ, it's not a phrase that's attached to any other New Testament office. Nowhere else does the Bible say uh, an elder of Jesus Christ or a pastor of Jesus Christ or a, a prophet of Jesus Christ, anything like that. Only apostles get that designation. Apostles can speak as the messengers of Jesus Christ. Their words have the authority of God behind them. So that's why it's important to affirm that Peter did, in fact, write this book because that gives this letter authority for the church, for the churches then and for this church right here, right now. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. His words carry the authority of God's words. So Peter the apostle, he sends this letter, and he sends it to those chosen. That's the next phrase. This word chosen shows up differently in different translations. Your Bible might say elect, uh, and I can hear some of you, my fellow theology nerds out there, you're thinking about election, the doctrine of election, but we're not going to talk about that today. That idea comes up later in 1 Peter. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. But for today, Peter tells us we've been chosen. And that means we've been selected from all the people in the world. God has chosen us to be His people. What an amazing truth when you think about all the people in the world. We've been given an incredible privilege We've been given a special status. It's really hard to overstate how meaningful that is for us. We're chosen. And you would expect that something really good would come from that. You would expect something amazing would follow. And certainly that status, chosen by God, it carries a lot of blessings. We'll talk about that later in the book too. But for this intro to the letter, Peter tells us we're chosen and then the very next phrase kind of douses some water on that idea. The next phrase is not what we would expect to follow after affirming that we've been chosen by God. Peter writes to the chosen living as exiles. Well, that's not what we might have been expecting. I mean, if we're so chosen, so special, we've been given this great status, all these blessings by God, then why are things so hard? Why are people coming for us if we've been chosen? It's because we're also exiles. And understanding that idea, understanding that as Jesus followers, we are both chosen and exiles, that makes all the difference. We're chosen 
but we live as exiles. So what does that mean? Well, typically when you think of an exile, we think in terms of politics, people have been forced from their homeland for some reason, war or unstable government, that kind of thing. People have been marginalized in society. They're they're forced to live in a a hostile and a foreign environment. Uh, The same word is translated as pilgrims, right? People far from home, maybe not by their own choosing. The word literally means to journey alongside the natives, That's why your Bible translation might say the word sojourners instead of exiles, to journey alongside the natives. So you're starting to get the idea. An exile is a person who lives in a place that's not their home. They live and they work among the natives there, but they're not from that place. Basically, let me just say it this way. If you ever felt homesick, then you get the idea. You're far from home. You live in a place that you don't belong. Only for us, this sense of, of homesickness, this sense of being an exile, it's not physical. That's where we differ from a political exile. For us, this sense of being an exile is really a spiritual sense. If you ever felt spiritually homesick, then you get the idea. If you've ever lost a loved one and you just wish you could just see them one more time, that's the idea. Spiritual exile. One writer describes the exile life as a deep longing caused when our present circumstances are not what they ought to be. Remember, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And maybe you've felt this sense of exile even during this COVID season, cut off from all the kind of things we were used to, cut off from interactions with other people, other relationships. But maybe for you, maybe you feel it in different ways. Maybe you've got strained relationships that make you feel like an exile in your own family. Maybe things at work are hard for you. You feel like an exile every time you get up and go to work. Or maybe maybe you read, you watch the news, you feel like an exile in this place you call home. Changing cultural norms, changing societal values and ideas make you feel like you don't know where you fit anymore. You just can't understand what's going on. What is God doing? We're all exiles. All of us who are Jesus followers are living in a place where we don't belong. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. So our exile status means we're citizens of heaven, but we live here. And a lot of times, that's where we stop. We feel that that longing, that homesickness, and we just want to surround ourselves with McCheaper, some knockoff version of what we feel most comfortable with, right? We see all the brokenness in the world. It just feels like too much. We feel that exile status. But remember, before we were exiles, we were chosen. So even though we we live as exiles, we're not stuck here in the world, but Jesus sent us here. Listen to this quote from Bible scholar Robert Mounts. He's a former president of Whitworth University. He said, God does not remove His servants from the world. It's the specific arena of their ministry. The message of redemption serves no purpose apart from those who need to hear it. It's less important that we hear the old, old story yet again than it is that we share it with those who've never heard. While a hostile world may not be the most receptive audience, they are the ones who need to hear the message. So when Peter describes us as exiles, he's not talking so much about physical exiles as as spiritual exiles. We're citizens of heaven, but we live here. We've been sent to live here. So our exile status is, is primarily a comment about our relationship as Jesus' followers journeying alongside the natives. 
living in a culture that's full of non-Jesus followers. We're journeying alongside the natives. This world is not our home, but we're here, we're sent here, and we're sent here for a purpose. And yet here is a hard place to be sometimes. This is a hard status. Nobody ever signs up to be an exile. But Peter has chosen his words very, very carefully here. That's why we're spending so much time on this introduction. That's why I've chosen to call our study of this book Exiles. It's a key idea for us. Now, maybe more than ever before, we're exiles, but we can't forget the phrase that comes right before this, chosen. We're chosen exiles. That means God sent us here for a purpose. And God has not forgotten us. He's not abandoned us here. We're not exiles by chance. We've been chosen, chosen to be Jesus' followers in this time, in this place. This cultural moment needs the church to to step up, to step in, just like the churches that Peter's writing to originally. Nobody is coming for us. This is our moment. We're exiles, but we're chosen exiles. And that leads us into the next phrase, really just one more word. Peter writes to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed. That's the next way that Peter describes us. Dispersed, your Bible might say scattered. And you can see he mentioned several regions where the original audience was. These are all places in Turkey. And uh, scholars believe the order of the places are the route that somebody would take as they carried the letter from place to place. So if you're bored, you can flip to the maps page in your Bible. You can trace the path of the letter from place to place. But uh, looking at this list, this letter would have traveled about 1,500 miles to get from Peter in Rome, to the original readers in Turkey, it would travel about 5,000 miles to get to us. Talk about scattered. But when Peter describes us as scattered or dispersed, he's not just thinking about geography. It's not just that. It's the reality that no one is coming for us. It's a a spiritual dispersal. This word here has a a spiritual sense, referring to to Christians dispersed throughout the world and living away from their, their heavenly homeland hoping someday to reach it. So it really reinforces the idea behind exiles. One Bible paraphrase I read, it translates this verse, it describes us as despised, as homeless wanderers in the world. Not just physically scattered, but but seemingly forgotten, despised even, destined to wander. No one is coming for us. But at the same time, we cannot lose sight of the fact that we're chosen. We're dispersed on purpose, not by accident. We're we're scattered into this place by God's design. God has a purpose for us here. And that leads us right into the next phrase. Take a look at the passage again. To those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father foreknew that this would happen. He foreknew this state we would be in, chosen as exiles, chosen to be dispersed. He knew it. And the idea of foreknowledge, it doesn't just mean that God understood that this would happen, like He looked out into the future and He saw it. What it means is that God predetermined that it would happen. He chose us for this time, for this place, this exile status, scattered right here. His fatherly love for us, His wisdom guided us to this place in time. So that should give us a lot of confidence about our situation. Even though things might be hard, even though we wake up every day homesick for something better, God knows what He's doing. He foreknew. He put us here. He chose us for this time and for this moment. So if you're here, you're here because God wants you to be here. 
before time began, God predetermined that you and I would be here wearing masks, the whole thing, living in a culture increasingly hostile towards Christianity. Our status as exiles is no accident. All the challenges that we have, they're all happening under the watchful eye of a God who knows the future before it happens. That should give us a lot of comfort. So Peter is writing to a group of people who know God. They, they know here that God loves them and that he's at work in the world, but they look around, they see all these bad things happening, they see persecution, they see pain, suffering of all kinds, they see the world closing in on them from both sides. And so even though they know that God loves them here, they're starting to, to doubt it here. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe the way the world is, all the uncertainty that surrounds us, maybe it's all just a little too much. Maybe you lost sight of God's work in your life. Maybe you feel like nobody is coming for you, just hopeless and helpless. But you know the old song, he's got the whole world in his hands? Maybe you sang that song as a kid. I did, but it's still true. When things are going good for us, God's got the whole world in his hands. And when things are going hard for us, God's still got the whole world in his hands. And he still has a purpose for us in all of it. And Peter, maybe more than anybody else, Peter understood this. Peter, who walked with Jesus for three years, had his own share of dark times. In fact, Peter experienced the, the darkest of times. He watched Jesus arrested, tried, and killed. I think Peter would say those are the darkest hours when he realized nobody was coming for him. And those were the darkest times. Peter and the other disciples, they felt threatened. They felt like somebody was coming for them any moment. They, they ran and they hid. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Nobody understood what God was up to in the world. But then later, that same Peter, he's able to write this letter, this letter of encouragement to these chosen people, exiles dispersed all over the place. Well, what changed? What changed was the fact that Peter came to understand that in the darkest of times, when nobody understood what God was doing, it turns out that God was doing something amazing. He was doing his best work. When God seemed completely inactive, when it seemed like evil had won the day, God was changing the world. No one could have imagined that what seemed like death and loss and evil was in fact just the beginning of Jesus' resurrection. Those would be the moments that for thousands of years, chosen exiles dispersed all over the world can look back to and rejoice in God's goodness and grace. See, God predestined the suffering of His own Son, Jesus, because He knew, He foreknew, that that was His best plan. And God is still working out His plans in us even today. So if all you feel like is an exile, scattered in a strange land, homesick for something familiar, something better, don't lose sight of the fact that God chose you. Chosen living as exiles, dispersed, but God has a purpose for it all. And I want us to talk about that purpose. That's why we're here. I want us to all understand that purpose that God has for us. And before we get to that purpose, there's another little phrase in here that's so helpful, so encouraging. Look at verse 2 again. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So right here, we see not only the foreknowledge of God, the Father, but we see the whole Trinity together. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all at work in our lives and our situation. This, this Trinitarian focus shows us how God is watching over us, caring for us in the past, in the present, and into the future. So His foreknowledge speaks of God the Father shepherding us, 
caring for us in the past. Then we see the idea of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, making us holy. That's God's present work in our lives, the lives of Jesus' followers. And that last phrase, the, the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus, it speaks to God's future work in us, cleansing us, making us perfect once and for all, able to stand in the presence of God. So our whole existence, past, present, future, our status as chosen exiles, it's all being lived out under the work and the care of the God who's three in one. He turns every circumstance, every sorrow, every hardship into something good as He makes us more like Jesus. God has a purpose in all of it. So let's talk about that purpose. There's one more phrase here we haven't highlighted yet. Let's look at the verse again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Did you notice it? Our purpose is to be obedient. We've been chosen to be obedient. We've been exiled so that we can be obedient. We've been dispersed so that we can be obedient. God the Father in His foreknowledge put us here in this time and in this place to be obedient. That's our purpose. And it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, we want to fight. We want to organize. We want to argue. We want to push all those kinds of things. But we don't want to be obedient. That seems like losing, right? But that's what we're called to do. That's our purpose. As we wrap things up this morning, I want us to talk very, very practically about what obedience looks like for us. For, for Trinity today, how do we live out this challenge to be obedient as chosen exiles, dispersed throughout this valley? I want to share three ways that we can be obedient. And the first, a big part of what it means for us to be obedient comes right from the words of Jesus Himself, His great commission to the church, His chosen people, to go as exiles, into all the world dispersed, and to make disciples, teaching people to obey. So making disciples who make other disciples. Our purpose is to make disciples. We do that by living out this status that Peter shares with us. We're chosen exiles. We live dispersed. Remembering we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not stuck here in the world, but we're sent here by Jesus to be obedient to His command to make disciples. And for us, in this time, in this place, there's this command of disciple-making, it probably looks different than we expect. Because there was a time when, when folks would come and find their way in here into church. We'd have programs, we'd have classes and things that could help them learn about Jesus, help them grow in their faith. So for a long time, disciple-making was as simple as invite your friends to church. The church was really set up to do the heavy lifting, Right? But because of this cultural shift, because of COVID, because of a hundred other reasons, the times have changed. Now disciple-making looks a lot more like me and you being in a relationship with other people, just life on life. It looks like loving, listening to, caring for people in our path. It looks like journeying alongside the natives, just being friends with people who need to see Jesus work in their lives. So maybe one step of obedience for you is simply to make some friends with people who are not believers. Do you have meaningful friendships with non-believers? I hope so. Maybe that's a step of obedience for you. And once you become friends, then you just keep being friends with these people. Remember, people are people. They're not projects. So you just live life with them, journeying alongside them. And in your life and your conversations, you show them what life with Jesus is all about. That's 
living as a chosen exile, living the same way that Jesus did, loving people, sacrificing for people, pointing people to God. Another big key to living out God's purposes is seeking His kingdom first. For us, that means we make following Jesus our top priority. That means we live as exiles, not trying to force the world to bend to us, but we bend to reach the world. Let me say it this way. I love living in the United States of America. It is not perfect, but I love living in America. It's a wonderful place. I like eating cheeseburgers and fries, all that kind of stuff. I love the fact that I get to vote, freedom everywhere you look. I love that in this country you could take an idea and you could turn that idea into a, a product. And you could turn that product into a business and just set it loose in the, the free market enterprise. This is an amazing place to live, the land of freedom, the land of opportunity. But you know what? I'm still in exile. So are you. And even though I'm proud to be an American, I'm going to have to stand before God one day, and He's going to want to know that I put His kingdom before my national pride, before patriotism, before any political beliefs, all my other priorities. Did I put the kingdom of God first? Did I put his church first? Did I put obedience to him first? Obeying Jesus means we make his kingdom our priority. And that means we set aside all our other priorities, set aside everything that stands in the way of Jesus and his kingdom. You know that word priority, it's a Latin word. It means of first importance. And for the first couple of thousand years that word was in use, it was just a singular word, just priority. It wasn't until the, the 1940s that there was such a thing as priorities, more than one. You can really only have one priority, seeking first His kingdom, His righteousness. Everything else will be taken care of. That's what Jesus tells us. So obedience to Jesus means we're people who per pursue His great commission it means we're people who prioritize His kingdom, and it means we're people of the Word, people who know and obey God's Word. If there's anything these past few months have taught us, then it's taught us that there's no such thing as normal. The traditions, the patterns, the processes we used to have all figured out, it's all new now. Everything is different. School, shopping, going out to eat, going to church, all of it is different. We live in a time when everything that we used to be able to count on has changed. So all the, the guidelines, the rules, the regulations, the traditions, all the way we used to operate is different. And that kind of makes us feel like we're out of control, and that's because we are. But God is still in control. And that's why now, more than ever, we've got to learn to operate according to His ways, His Word. If it's true that no one is coming for us, and if it's true that someone is coming to get us, then we have to put our trust in Him completely. That's the only way to live as chosen exiles. And the way we do that is by reading and living out His Word, His plans for us, His priority for us, His commission to us. You know, there's one thing we see over and over again in God's Word, over and over again. We see that God is good, we see that His plans are good, and we see that He almost never does what we would expect. So as you look out at the world, we see what seems like uh, God slipping away, being knocked out of the picture, it might just be His next great work. God might well have us here because He wants to see revival of His work right here in the valley. Remember, this valley is full of 57,000 people who have no gospel presence in their lives. But God has chosen us to live as exiles, scattered right here all alongside those 57,000 people. 
And his best plans for them are still to come. He wants to see their lives changed. And that's only going to happen when we live out our purpose according to his word, setting aside our traditions, setting aside our own comfort, obeying God's word no matter what. So we pursue obedience to Christ by living out his great commission, by prioritizing his kingdom, by obeying his word. That's how we live as exiles scattered throughout this valley. I want to leave us with one more brief thought. One more idea comes right from the verses we've focused on today. Look at the very end of verse 2 with me. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter offers this prayer, this blessing to those who are living as chosen exiles. He knows and we know that we need grace and we need peace. Obeying Jesus is hard and obeying Jesus in a changing world is even harder. But God has not left us alone. He's with us. He gives us grace and He gives us peace. And Peter's prayer for this church is the same prayer that I have for this church, that as we live as chosen exiles, that we would have God's grace and peace multiplied to us, that we would have so much grace and peace we could just give it away to everybody we come in contact with. We have so much undeserved favor from God and so much peace, it's just beyond understanding. We need it for ourselves, we need it for others, we need it to be able to obey Jesus, to live out His purpose for us and His purpose for this world. So, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in this room, may grace and peace be multiplied to each and every one of you watching online, and may grace and peace be multiplied throughout our valley as we live out our status as chosen exiles dispersed for the purpose of being obedient. Let me pray for us. God, we, uh, we recognize, we feel the status that you have uh, described for us in your word this morning. We feel sometimes chosen and sometimes we just feel like exiles and yet uh, both are true. And we, they're true because that's your design for us. We don't always understand the things that you do, but uh, in it all we want to be obedient to you. That's the purpose that you have for us. And so help us, Lord. Give us grace and peace multiplied exponentially to us so that we can serve you, we can be obedient, we can prioritize your kingdom above everything, God. And we want to be people who transform this valley by the power of your Spirit and the name of your Son. Amen.